hello and welcome back. This is Colin Keeley here. And I'm Brent Sanders. And we are two guys buying and building wonderful internet companies. Yeah. And uh, I'm not even sure where to start. We got a lot to talk about this week. So I think the first thing that's going on is we've got a company. I don't know if we want to go into like the exact name of, of the company, but it's like database backups as a category. Database backups. Yeah. Helpful to a, understand. It's a database backups business and it's got a broken funnel. Like we've had it now for eight months. We stabilized it, transitioned. We've really just been focusing on, you know, fixing the, the tech, but really slowly, right? Like we've got debt on it. We don't really spend a ton of money, but we do spend, you know, every month there's maintenance, there's progress happening and we're, we're trying to fix this funnel, but we're moving really slowly. And so we've been trying something out that's been kind of interesting is I guess to back up the, what was the, what are the stats on the conversion funnel over the last year? We've added like five customers maybe. Yeah. So monthly it's like one to two signups a day. So 30 plus signups a month. And then I think only one of those is really converting to a, a customer, maybe even less. Yeah. So it's like basically 50 to one, which yeah. is not great. Not great. <laughs> <laughs> Abysmal is what I would say. So we get a lot of people sign up. They, they try it. They may go through the process of like connecting their database, connecting their servers, but it's, it's convoluted. It's really hard to do. And it's not using a lot of the modern like tricks. And that's what we're, we're doing on the product side. We're like modernizing the UI, modernizing the, the flows to, to be way easier, but it's just taking a lot of time. So while we're waiting, we just decided to, Hey, let's just turn off the sign up button. Like we were driving people to sign up and self-serve. Let's drive them to a form instead and, and talk to me. And if nothing else, we can have conversations with customers. And so far, like, I feel like it's going pretty well. Like I've had, I forget the numbers and we did some outreach as well. I think we've so far set maybe three meetings. I've had, yeah, three or four meetings now. And the funny thing is, is, you know, the, the folks that we're reaching that are reaching out are so far, they're not fits, right? They're, they're looking for something for like a real problem they have, like they have, and I don't mean to get too technical, but they have databases that are like terabytes and using a traditional, like logical backup solution just doesn't work. Right. So we'll, we'll, we'll pass on all like the tech stuff, but they basically have a problem where their databases are too big and we can't help them anyways, which may be the case for a lot of our, a lot of the signups, but it's been really insightful. Like it's definitely taking more time. But the other thing that's happened is the more enterprise customers, we've had two of them that have come through that are multinational organizations. They're, I don't really know the, the size, but they're not publicly traded, but they're of that scale where, you know, if you were to sell a solution, they're, they're trying to back up what 300, 500 databases at a time, that would be the equivalent of, you know, 30 customers for us. So it was like very much worth our time to have a call, do a demo, even though I suck as a, a salesperson, <laughs> I, I can do well on the like solutioning, like the solution engineering, solution sales I can do. And that part has been good because you know, you're selling to a technical customer, but it feels weird to turn off the funnel, but it, it also feels like a, a good research experiment while we're working on the funnel. Yeah. It's, I mean, we almost have nothing to lose. We had like almost no conversions happening. So I think we're what, two weeks in, I wanted to run it for like a month and see if this is worthwhile. And so two weeks in, we have three meetings booked. So that's pretty good. I don't know what the conversion rate from a meeting to you know, an end customer is, but I guess the average value is significantly higher as well because they're more enterprisey. So like yeah. our, our average customer right now, I think is $80 a month, but 
we have, there's like competitors in the space that focus on different things. A lot of them have like a 500 K or a thousand MRR minimum. Um, mm -hmm. I, so I think you probably want to do that. If you're going to do like this sales led growth instead of product led growth, you want those mm -hmm. higher average order values. So, you know, you send one customer, it's uh, proving that it's definitely worth it and way better than what we we're doing before. Yeah. And, and if nothing else, I, I enjoy having the conversations from a like feature roadmap, because I think there's already starting to be a concentration around this problem of like, how do I back up a database that's too big to back up? That's the, the first thing we're, we're kind of seeing is that there's actually a, a bigger question around, you know, in the industry, there's just a gap. And so finding those gaps is, it's interesting. I'm not saying we're, we need to rebuild the product and go after some new, you know, solution. That being said, it's, it's way better than trying to guess at why people are turning. Like we, mm -hmm. we have some intelligence around that we can watch their sessions, but it's a lot of guesswork. And we reach out to folks and say, Hey, why didn't you sign up? And, and we, I think we got an answer like a month or two ago from somebody that was great. They were just like, they, they analyzed the product. They gave us, they were just like, this is wrong. The UI is messed up. It's like, doesn't make any sense. I don't even trust it because of the, the experience. I don't trust you with something like my, my database backups. You know, if it feels broken, even if it isn't, if it feels broken, it is broken. Right. And I would say like all our companies are product led growth. We don't really have any sales led or sales driven things as much. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's definitely you know, a valuable skill set and worth probably exploring more, especially as we get bigger companies that are like more enterprisey, but you know, not our strong suit right now. Yeah. I, I think I need to do like a recap of like driving to a close, I think, like, or sales training 101 again, because I haven't been on a sales call in a long time. And I just, it, it felt a little rusty. I was on with somebody and I was just like, you know, they, they were kind of a fit. I think I could have converted them. And I, so I'm like, okay, I didn't even think about like, what am I driving towards? Because usually when I expect, right? yeah, right. It's like, usually they have like, the enterprise customers usually have like some sort of like, Hey, we're, we're specifically looking for this. And can you do this? If so, let's move on to a demo. Let's get access. Let's start, you know, let me help you get set up. And that's where I can excel by being technical. I can say, Hey, send me, you know, whatever information I'll put an architecture together. I can kind of sneak in as, as a value add there. But like when it comes to just getting someone to like, okay, now it's time to give me your credit card. It's like, how do I ask for that without like, you, they still have to give me a bunch of information. So I think that's where, again, we're informing the product led growth of like, okay, we can see how to have an entry point, but man, I'm, I'm rusty when it comes to closing. It's, it's something I need to brush up. On. Yeah. Any other thoughts on that company or what else do you have for topics you want to talk about? We could talk about our our AWS bill. Oh yes. Yeah. I, I guess this is really a, a masterclass in managing state, like your own state. So we, as part of this business, we've been reworking the infrastructure. So we've built a whole new staging environment, uh, updated all the servers, all the services, everything is getting not, not a rewrite, but just like it was running on old infrastructure. So we're fixing that. And as part of that, we use some ECS services, which is an Amazon on-demand service out basically every time you use it, you get charged and whether it's a, it's a valid use or an invalid use. So if you send it data and say, Hey, run this and it's, there's nothing, it will, it's a quarter, it's a quarter, it's a quarter, 50 cents, 75 cents, you know, whatever it is. And in our code, when we were setting up a staging environment, unbeknownst to me, it was just hammering. And so it was sending messages to Amazon for about two to three days straight. 
equaling about $5,000 a day, I guess four, four to five days straight. So this was over a holiday weekend. And we have a team that manages this and that's their responsibility to, to look at this. But that team was on the, the dedicated member was on vacation that day and he didn't have somebody checking on it before. So, you know, it it's ultimately falls on my shoulders because I'm managing technology here. So I wake up on Monday morning and I happen to hop into the AWS account and see a $25,000 bill, right? And it wasn't even the bill. It was like your usage to date is, you know, 8,000 something times what it normally is. And it was like, Oh my God. Okay. So I think the the lesson learned for me is I, not even lesson learned. The thing that I, I did at the time and I've continued to do is like, I'm not going to lose sleep over, like, we'll figure it out, be positive about it, look for a solution, immediately let AWS know what's going on. I thought it was a bug in their system, of course, but yeah, worked with AWS immediately, worked with my team to shut down whatever was happening. It was basically something was broken in our code and it just kept trying to retry and the retry logic was just continuing. So we just shut the service down, go to check my emails that had the, the notification sent. And there were sure enough, there were emails saying like, Hey, you're above your threshold for billing. And uh, so lesson learned, you know, I need to, to have those, those emails going to my actual email. Cause we had like a business dedicated, like hmm. a support ad email that was a shared inbox, set those up for Slack, but reach out to AWS immediately, talk to them about what was happening stop the charges, show them that we did, we do have alerting, show them that, hey, this actually wasn't production data. This was just something retrying. And I'm proud to announce 30 days later and no, no sleep loss. Like I really tried not to let this stress me out. And not that like paying it would have been an option. To be clear, like I, uh, you know, I think we had other contingency plans. I'll leave it at that of like how we would have dealt with this, but we we didn't, I don't think we really, would have had the stomach to to pay for that bill. We would have, you know, had to look elsewhere for our hosting or whatever. But you know, reach out to support and they were generous enough to credit all of it. So our entire overage, which was like a twenty five thousand dollar amount, we got credited. Which I just want to say thank you, Jeff Bezos, for your generosity and understanding. But I, I would say, you know, I've heard from other folks and I, I spoke to a lot of other people that had never really seen you know, maybe a couple thousand dollars here on a big bill that, that you see overruns on. And I'm not really sure what to account for other than I just took accountability immediately. I'd never accuse them with like, Hey, why would, you know, why would you bill me this? Like, I get it. Like, this is clearly from something I was doing within the first 15 minutes of figuring out what the issue was. Again, I thought it was a bug because it, it had a different label, but if you're out there and you have a similar issue, take accountability, stop the service, update your notifications, show them that you did work with them, be nice and maybe have, you know, do some prayers or, you know, sacrifice animals, burn some sage, whatever you got to do. I did none of those things, but did you have to push them or you, you just you know said, we fixed it. You know, this is a mistake. Can you refund it? And they just replied, no problem. So the way that it happened, it was the support person was like, I'm going to escalate this to our EC2 team which is like a dedicated team for the service we're using, which I didn't associate with EC2, but anyways, under the, the, the layers, Fargate is, is what we're using. Under the layers, EC2 is what's driving it. And I just, they asked for specific, you know, points of documentation to, to prove that, you know, we have this again. And the funny thing I learned that I, I should have known in diligence, this was actually another fuck up on my end of, you know, looking through the AWS support history of like, this happened to the prior owner about two huh. years ago, not to the extent, but about a day of, so it all comes down to like, 
there was just a, a stupid line of code where if it doesn't work, just try it again. That's really not intelligent enough for this business. So we fixed that line of code so it won't come back and bite us ever again. But yeah, it was something that the prior owner ran into and I was nervous that because this is like a one-time thing that they weren't going to be like, hey, you had your one-time credit and now you're going to eat it. We had contingency plans for that and I was kind of half expecting that. But yeah, we, we escalated the way that we did it just remained very, very nice. You know, it's not, don't get upset. Even though I was like stirred up, just let that kind of pass let go of it and and just focus on the facts, be scientific about your responses. And uh, of course, be very like apologetic and say, you know, you know, yeah, I think you have to take accountability. I think that's the thing where, you know, if you say, how could you let me do this? That that's the nature of that platform is like, right. you get the power tools and you get the bills. And I think they know though, because we're using a credit card that like, we have some protections there. So, I mean, I don't even want to go down that route of like trying to explain to your credit card company why you're getting billed, you know, the equivalent of like a buying a new automobile or at least a used automobile <laughs> for something that, you know, we, we wouldn't expect. So it was a roller coaster. It took about 30 days to resolve. I would say like mindset was a big part of this though, of like managing my state and mindset of like, either way, I felt like, you know, that we had an, an option to do something. So like never felt like the, there was a major risk. But, you know, still it was, it was bumpy and we navigated it. So lesson learned to those out there that run into a, a big AWS bill, be nice and, and be accurate. And you could get out of it. Maybe, maybe, I don't know. I, I, I was kind of blown away. I think I thought they were going to ding us for some of it. Just be like, this is, this is still our, not, not our responsibility. But I think that the fact that the, the payload, we were like the, the work that they were doing like their cost basis, I think was really low because it was just an error. And it was almost like a function of like, you're starting the system and then it's immediately shutting off. Hmm. Like, yes, that's using traffic and that's using compute. But I, I don't really, I didn't get the sense that they, they're going to come back and say, hey, well, this cost us to run because it, it, but I think it was more of like a metering technicality of like, if you invoke this, there's a minimum cost because it, it was immediately, it wasn't running, like it was running for zero seconds, but you still get billed. Right. So I think that might've been the other saving grace is like, we weren't actually, it wasn't like we got hacked and somebody was actually mining Bitcoin or, or something on our servers. Other funny stuff this week. So I'm reading a book on another guy that bought a bunch of like local newspapers with a bunch of debt. And so I, I'm not going to say the name of the book I'll talk about it in the future, but it's been out of print for, it's published in the sixties. Author has been dead for 30 years. It's been out of print basically since then. And so you have to get a hardcover and it's like really hard to source, but I saw it on Twitter awesome. and people like it. So I bought it. I'm reading it. I was like, what happens to these books? Like, can you buy the rights to an out of print book? So I was looking into it this week and I posted it to Twitter and Bill D'Alessandro told me how you do it. So I don't know if you know him from Acquisitions Anonymous. Yeah. He buys a bunch of like e-commerce companies. So the way to do it is you reach out to the publisher and they can tell you who owns the rights now. And it sounds like if it's been out of print for quite a while, the rights go back to the state of the author. And so it sounds like the publisher, the former publisher, could give you the contact info for them. So I haven't done it yet. I'll keep you updated as I do it and report back. Oh, that'd be awesome. So I was going to do that. And you probably end up with the state of this guy who's been dead for like 30 years. It sounds like the way you structure this often is like a small upfront payment and then Normally with publishers, the book author only gets like 10 to 20%. So like 
I maybe give a small upfront payment. I pay to make it into an ebook, an audio book. And then I give them like 20% rev share or something like that. It's probably the deal you end up striking. But I just thought it was interesting. Like there's so many of these great books out there that there's just no digital copy of them. Yeah. The licensing yeah. gap, right? You see this in film, you see this and you're going to see this even more and more where, you know, it doesn't, somebody doesn't want to host it. Somebody doesn't want to deal with the, the licensing where it has like the estate of a family is, has no interest, right. Or doesn't want to, you know, maybe the, the author or creator said, Hey, I don't want you to do this. And that was their lineage, but there's a lot of great works. I, I'm more of like, I think of film when I think of this stuff of like all the awful films I used to watch in the eighties that they're gone. Like you can't find them. I mean, obviously they were awful, but there are some that, you know, you're, you're fond about, or if you come back on a new lens, like if you look at this, I assume that your interest around this is, it's similar to what we're doing. It's just, if you change newspaper to SaaS business, you know, exactly. recurring revenue, it's, you know, it, it, the story's the same. And so that's where I think that's super exciting. Yeah. Yeah. I that was fun. Cool. It's something I could push like on my media channels as well. I don't know. I think the likely outcome here is if the publisher still owns it, there's like, oh, there's demand. We'll turn it into an ebook and audio book. You know, <laughs> thanks for letting us know. That would be my guess what happens, but either way, it'll be fun. Yeah. Other stuff on my yeah. end, I have my Maven course uh, going live in a month. I started getting you know people buying in. So that's kind of cool. The pre-orders are coming through. So this is like your rite of passage, right? So it's like the cohort base, right? You're all going to be live. Yeah, exactly. So this is what I feel like is missing. People love my pre-recorded course, but there's not like that peer group or like pressure to actually yeah. go out and buy, like look, talk with owners and stuff like that. So that's, there's going to be a lot of homework assignments, a lot of exercises. And then the real goal is like peer press and then online workshops where you like, I, it's office hours, basically ask me whatever questions you want. That's awesome. So are these specifically going to be B2B SaaS businesses or just SaaS businesses? This is interesting. So it's just how to buy a small business is the course okay. name and like the course topic. But I've had some people reach out that have taken my course that were like, I want you to basically like handhold me through it. And I think this could be an interesting approach for us in the future of like basically backing search funds. And so a limitation with us is like deals, but deals are like coming through and then over time, it's like operators and really yeah. well incentivized operators. And yeah. so we could, you know, have a cohort of like five to 10. And then we have companies because our deal flow like is going to be ever increasing. It's basically just placement. You place, you give like, you give them equity. We take the rest of the equity and like, it's more of a search fund, fund to funds approach. But that's, the, yeah. It, it reminds me of like the studio model, right? Like which we've you know, experience. And, and that's always the, in my experience, that has been the constraint is great operators, great leaders, great executives to come in and be the CEO. That's the hard part. Like the demands I've seen here are like, people want that. They want like a much more handholding experience of like, they want to be paired with the business. And then the, the Brent is a service is appealing <laughs> as well of like, how do you find teams in Pakistan or like Armenia yeah. or whatever and vet them and make sure they're good. Because a lot of these folks are like their MBAs that maybe they ran a PNL in the fast, but they they've never run a tech business, so they've never you know been kind of hands on with the tech at least. Yeah, yeah, or even like find how to find a Brent. I mean, because I think there's a lot of Brents out there that it's funny. I'm I'm seeing folks in my network starting to do similar stuff where they're buying businesses. Buying, I saw a gentleman that I worked with, I don't know, five years ago. He's buying up WordPress plugins, and he was a WordPress developer, like. But instead of continuing to consult and work at an agency or whatever, he's like, no, I'm, I'm going to go and actually, you know, in this direction, because it is really the desired way to kind of create leverage in your life, 
you know, it's, it's, it's a definitely a better existence from a, like, what are you reporting and, and spending your time on? You're building your, your own wealth. So I think there's a lot of developers that know how to do these things that don't really know how to get, make that leap as well. So I, I don't think it's, it's unique to, to me or even, you know, folks, it's just a matter of, I think a mix of technical and management skill. Yeah. And that may go back to the first idea of like this, you know, I'm going to run this cohort and then like things will get progressively, maybe more hands-on. And then maybe yeah. the result is that, you know, we raise a small fund and basically back people and handhold them to the experience. <laughs> yeah. There um, you go. But yeah, I, otherwise I think there's like a, a tech outsource tech headhunter service. That's, you know, definitely could be interesting as well. My other, other interesting learning is the pro pickleball tour just came through Chicago and I was, I was out of town for it. So I didn't get a chance to sign up, but I played with a bunch of people that like meddled in it. <laughs> and I think I could become a pro pickleball player. I don't know if this is my pursuit, but I'm playing more and more with these people. It's been and, fun. and by the way, like, where are you playing? Cause like Elizabeth, so my wife you, and you were there, she had a I don't know, was it like not really an informal housewarming party for her her new office in Chicago, but they had like a portable pickleball court. And she's like, we should open a pickleball court in in, in Ohio. We should, we should like, this is like, a, she's super caught up in it. She's like, it's super fun, especially in the winter. It's like, get a, yeah. get a warehouse space and just let people, I'm like, wait, 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 wait. Talk about insurance, all these, it's just like, I don't know. It, it seems like the fun thing to do. Where do you play in Chicago? The best people in Chicago play at Horner Park which is like, oh. uh, do you know where this is? I don't know. It's kind of yeah. relatively far Northwest of the city. Yeah. Irving park area. So that's where like the best people play. They play late into the night. It starts at like five 30 and goes to nine 30. So that's like that's awesome. my bedtime. So I don't really do those much. But <laughs> what it struck me is like the best players. They're just like the normal people. It's yeah. not like, I mean, I've played like high level basketball and they're not LeBron James. Like they don't have the yeah. height or athleticism or anything. So they're just super accurate, which, you know, you could get if you have the hand-eye coordination. It's also just an immature sport. So like in the basketball world, you reach certain levels where it's like, oh God, no amount of training would let me move yeah. like that person. But that is certainly not the case in pickleball, at least not yet. Yeah, that's awesome. It's cool. It's cool to see because it's, uh, so I don't know the rules, right? That's the one thing I would say I'm a casual, very, not even really a player. We, we played like ping pong basically, but I can totally see. There's nothing like chasing after a ball. I don't know. We're like so <laughs> dumb at our, at our, like our, our caveman brains take over and it's like, go after the ball with a paddle. And it's just, it's a blast. And you run around. Although I, I hear this more from my folks, all the old people get hurt. All the old, everyone oh, yeah. seems to have pickleball injuries. I've seen a few people fall down for sure. It's a lot of like starting and stopping and the stopping yeah. doesn't always go so well, but yeah. Anything, anything else going on in your end? What did I have in my notes? Yeah, no, I think that's, that's a big thing. I mean, we're doing this weird sales thing, this like a dabbling in, in enterprise. And I think the one thing that made me think about it, it's like, does it make sense to start looking at having a salesperson across the companies? And, you know, is that still, even if you have, you know, product led growth, is there still like an idea of having a, you know, multi-role salesperson that could come in and field enterprise always having an enterprise option on every product essentially, and just having that go to a person that's actually good at sales and dedicated yeah. maybe to fielding those responses and, and a, a split between that and like customer success manager. So it's like, let me make sure you're getting the most out of the product, but also let me make sure that this is right sized to your organization because yeah, these, there are some of the, some absolute hippos of companies that, you know, happen to sign up for these products that, you know, 80 bucks a month wouldn't really be fair. 
or, right. or even our, our highest tier. And, and by the way, they want enterprise features they, that we have, right? SSO, they want to have, you know, a certain amount of integration that we can provide that we're just kind of missing by letting them, you know, sign up on their own. But by the way, nothing I hate more when I'm trying to use a product. I'm like, let's talk to sales. I'm like, nope. Yeah. I mean, good. it clearly works though, because so many people force yeah. you to talk to them. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I, what do you think that looks like if we wanted a part-time person, like to test out you know, a more senior person that maybe we can't pay for right now? Like you give That's them 50% of the first year revenue or something? Yeah. Just commissions, big commissions, share with them, you know, as much as you can, I think. And I think you could find folks that would do it, especially if we are doing a good job of building a top of funnel where like, Hey, there's Every day you come in, we've got at least two to three leads you can call on or every day that you're, let's say they work three days a week on it. And it's like, you know, you're coming in with at least a handful of warm leads to kick off if they're having a, you know, cold call, which by the way, all the best sales folks I know are great at cold calling, but you know, without building that proper structure of like, Hey, you've got the inside sales folks setting meetings and, you know, SDRs and the whole structure. I think it's hard to short circuit that it's hard to not. I think build, you know, a proper sales org, at least I've always seen it with that form of like, Hey, there's the, the roles and the different people are executing the, the roles and it works really well and scales really well, but I'm not so sure if half-assing it really with somebody who's great, maybe, but that's my sense. It would be kind of half-assing it where it's like, yeah, they're going to be part-time. They're just going to take in, you know, some of the leads and, and some of the, the inbound. I don't know. It, it gives me a little bit of pause of like, is that the best way to go? I definitely would love to try it though. Yeah, cool. I guess the only other update here is I'm going to try to start publishing video podcasts on YouTube and elsewhere. This is wow. the first video podcast. In the same yeah. week that I was told I have a gross face that harbors bacteria <laughs> and is linked with early death. <laughs> That's right. So where did that, I so for context here, you were on a podcast with the uh, microquire guy. Andrew yeah, Gizdecki. Andrew Gazdecki. Yeah. The second time on his podcast, actually. It was cool. I like his podcast a lot. He, ha he has good guests on, but then he has a weird audience. This guy, I saw you, you like shared a, a screenshot. Was this a YouTube comment? Because then it would make sense. Or was it LinkedIn? I was a YouTube comment. Yeah. I oh, just okay. I saved it because Andrew deleted it. And I was like, oh man, I, I love that. I'm sad you deleted it. But he wrote like a, it was actually right after it got published, like a nice little essay about how unshaven faces, harbor bacteria, gross out women, and are linked with early death. Cardiovascular disease too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Wow. All the things people have said to me, no one has ever said my face grosses out women before. So that was a, a real highlight for me. <laughs> and it was almost like spam, but it wasn't. It was clearly like too well-written or it's like new, new next generation AI that it's insulting you. I don't know if you've seen Wreck-It Ralph 2. You don't have kids yet, but I have not. my son watches this. And so the whole premise of Wreck-It Ralph Breaks the Internet, there's a scene where, so he's basically on the internet, he's making videos to make money because he has to buy the controller for some game to go back to his arcade. The plot's great. But he wanders into, like everything's like a physical version of, of YouTube, and he wanders into the comment section and sees all the comments that people have been writing about Ralph. And he gets pretty upset. And, and everyone's like, don't read the comments, Ralph. Don't read the comments. Yeah. You have your, you have yourself. So, so don't let it, don't let it, don't let it sway you. I like I'm back on camera. Just a few days later, <laughs> I've recovered from this hardship. <laughs> cool. Well, I think that's all we got. Yeah. That uh, sounds good. All right. Take care, everyone. All right. Bye-bye.